Hello again, and welcome to the Artist's Hand Gallery Something Cool podcast. We have been very busy, and so there is unintentionally more background noise than intended in this episode. You may hear packages of artwork being sent out. Did you know you can order artwork online through our website, theartistshandgallery.com? Yes, indeed you can. So be sure to check that out. Anyway, it may be preferable to listen to this podcast through speakers other than earbuds or headphones. Thank you and enjoy this episode featuring fiber artist Barb Kubala. The Three Sisters Fiber Art Show is open till August 14th, so be sure to check it out before it's done. Enjoy. Come on down, look around. Take in some sights, enjoy the sounds, be a part of the arts, the artist's hand gallery. Hello there, and we're back again with the Artist's Hand podcast, and today my guest is a very dear friend of mine and fellow fiber artist, Barb Kabbalah, and um, Barb is an alumni of IUP, uh, a super alum because she and her husband Larry are very involved with uh, fundraising and that sort of thing. She's also a retired art educator. She taught in the Indiana School District for a little over 30 years and she is a very active fiber artist. She's been on the board of the Pittsburgh Fiber Arts Guild several times and is currently their president. So a very active lady and um, a good friend and a great fiber artist. So Barb, welcome to the show today. Hi Sandy, thank you. I'm glad you could make it. So tell me, what kind of work, let's say what you're doing in the past or in the future now or later in the conversation, tell me what kind of fiber art have you done over time? Oh man, um, I think almost everything there is. It actually all started for me because I grew up in a house where we my mother sewed my mother sewed my clothes my aunt sewed all the clothes for my cousins it was just as they had done that as children it was a sewing family so by the time I was in high school I was making some of my own clothes and was really into it and um, then when I went to college to be an art ed major you take a little bit of everything uh, so I learned uh, you know drawing painting all ceramics all that stuff but fiber was a little bit of what we had in college and uh, one or two more courses in grad school and then I just kind of kept doing it. Now was Jean Slinker the instructor when you were there? No I did not have her. I think I was probably just a wee bit ahead of her. Okay um, who, was your, who was your instructor? Actually Dr. McVitie. Really? Okay that this is the gentleman for whom McVitie Auditorium is Yes it is. is. Okay. And he taught a I don't remember what, but other stuff as well. Fiber mm-hmm. was not the only thing he taught. But yeah, he was our fiber teacher then. Oh, wow. Okay. So you started out learning how to sew and make your clothes, but you're well known for, for example, your woven jewelry. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Fine, yes. Um, when I was in school, I did the basic weaving that we all had to do, which was learn to dress a loom and do a little bit of pattern stuff. But um, that never really piqued my interest a whole lot. I like to do plain what they call tabby weave, just over, under, over, under weaving. I'm more interested in in texture and color and stuff like that, which doesn't lend itself to the, the fancy patterns on the loom so much. So 
I did a lot of different weaving on and off. I had a couple different looms over the years and eventually fell into this thing that is properly called pin weaving. And when you pin weave, you have some type of board that you can stick straight pins in. Okay. And then you put a warp on from pin to pin to pin, warp being the fibers that go horizontally, and then you work it in with all kind of colors. I did it mostly, still do it, with embroidery floss. Oh, And the reason we like embroidery floss is because of all the beautiful colors that you can get. So my pin weavings are usually, nowadays, necklaces, neck pieces, pieces where there are little sections, possibly an inch wide by a couple inches long at the most to become parts of neck pieces. And I decorate those a little bit with beads, but for me, the beading is secondary, way secondary to the cords. Sure. You know, most people who who are doing necklaces nowadays are using lots of beads, and the beads are the main thing. With mine, the cords are the main thing, and it's a color and texture thing. Well, you were also using, I want to say sumac. Sutosh. Sutosh. All right. Um, Now, that has a very particular texture to it. Yeah. And that is already braided or somehow woven. Can you describe that? Yes. Sutosh is a kind of braid that you purchase. And my my interest in it is, again, lots of colors are available. It's more better known for a braid that they often use to trim band uniforms oh, and okay. military uniforms and they would sew it on flat and it would it would go from button to button sure. and so on. I certainly did not invent this whole thing but if you sew it together and you use it end by end. So when you sew it together you're looking at a number of ends and you're I'm usually using three to five pieces of sutosh in a row. Oh wow. Okay. And so when you look into it you see a whole bunch of different colors. Yeah. And there are beads involved there just to keep it interesting. It became a good way to get necklaces made that didn't take as long. You know, I still had the color to play with, but you could do them quicker. And therefore, they didn't have to cost as much when you were trying to sell them. Well, you keep talking about color. Like, I've probably heard you say that word now about 15 times so far. So in addition to the necklaces, you've also become known, at least within our fiber group locally, as the woman who does batik. Like you're the batik lady. And you want to you want to explain a little bit about that process. All right, I'll be glad to, but it's totally different. Basically, when you do a batik, you take hot wax and you put it into fabric. And there are different ways of doing that. There's a little tool that is called a janting tool and it has a little end. So you can sort of control where the hot wax goes, but hot wax has a mind of its own. Wherever this wax is in the material, it then blocks out that area from getting any color. And so you take this material and you dip it in a dye. And then you might put some more wax on it and so on. And it depends on what you're doing, but generally there's probably three or four colors at least 
that you have done some waxing in to save the old way and then dye some more and so that you go from light colors to dark. Generally, the last color is black or something that's quite dark. By that time, you have the whole fabric pretty well covered with dye. So you scrunch it up to put the fabric in a little ball in order to stick it in the dye, and therefore you get cracks. And the cracks come from the wax itself being squished up, and then the dye weasels its way in those little cracks just a little. So a a true batik has a lot of this cracking effect in it. That is the kind of identifier for batik. So if you're looking to purchase a piece of fabric that they tell you is batik, you want to look for those little little cracks that are probably not easy to reproduce. In commercially, yeah. commercially. So you've done the necklaces, which are worn art. Um, many of your batiks, I don't think I've ever seen any clothing made out of your batiks, right? Yes, I've done. I've tried, but not terribly successful. One of the very first times I tried, I dyed three and a half yards of fabric and made a outfit out of it and wore it once. And when we when I washed it, the color all left. Oh, so that sort of told me that you have to worry about all kind of things like making the color permanent. That isn't any fun to worry about. (laughs) (laughs) So I kind of don't do that as much. (laughs) Well, part of why I ask that question is, is to lead into the discussion that we don't have to get too bogged down with. But there seems to be a perception sometimes that fiber art is not art, that it is a craft. And so if you're making it to wear, even for jewelry, that it's not, what do you think about that? Well, it's a discussion that many groups have many different ways and has gone on for ages and probably will continue to. I think of it as an art because, and not necessarily because I want to sound fancy, because I think art requires thinking about a number of different parts of it. And most of these things require that kind of thinking and planning or intuitively letting it happen or whatever. But um, it's a kind of art to me and, and to most of the people. You mentioned briefly the Fiber Arts Guild, which is a group of people who do all sort of these kinds of things. Yes, exactly. And one of the things we do together is have critiques of each other's work. And that puts it on very artistic level. Absolutely. Um, because you're discussing placement, composition, Position, organization, figuring out where your eye is pulled in first and where your eye leads through the piece and some of those kinds of things that are true art considerations. Absolutely. And so then that takes me to your current work because... Barbara's really doing some just wonderful stuff right now with drawing directly on fabric and using lines of stitching as as if they were her pencil. And so she's drawing with those. So describe, Barb, what it is that you're doing. Well, you did a good job, except you didn't say sewing machine, Um, which is what I'm doing most of the time. Once in a while, I do a couple highlights by hand, but it isn't in my my hand at all. Part of it evolved because I love buildings. I love to draw buildings. Buildings. I always have. Um, I often joke that in one of my next lives, when I get a mathematical kind of brain, I'm going to be an architect. <laughs> but um, I don't know how that goes. But um, this stuff, this 
Thread painting is one of the things that um, I see it called in some sources is a way to do buildings and do detail in a way. But it's also kind of fun to pick and choose where to leave the detail out and where to just kind of give it almost a schematic kind of effect. I just finished a piece that is based on the old Indiana County Courthouse. And um, it's the kind of thing that uh, you certainly could not ever really do all the details justice. So you just kind of pick out what you wanted to show and what you don't. And back to the thing about if it's a real art or not, you can also pick out, I've sort of taken some liberty with the colors in that piece about the courthouse. I mean, my my bricks are quite red. The courthouses are kind of orange. Right. The other big blocks that divide some of the sections in the courthouse are kind of a buffy, orangey, gold kind of color. Mine are pure gold. Not not glittery gold, right. but gold. So I'm, I'm taking liberties with the color in order to make the art piece more interesting. Which isn't that what it's about, right? It's about interpretation and not so much about representation. Yes. And how do, how do you want to get your point across? A few things that are very directly what I've learned from the courthouse, but I take liberties. Sure. A lot of liberties. Which is good. <laughs> In the case Which of is this courthouse thing. Which is good. So... One last thing I want to talk about are your seed pods, because those are some of the more abstracted kinds of things that you've done. They're also very sculptural. They're not at all flat pieces, and you might not think of them as fiber art if you weren't thinking along those lines. So talk to us about your seed pods. Well, they're organic. (laughs) That's basically where it's a way to make something that's not really, truly realistic. It's kind of apple-related. It's kind of green pepper-related in terms of the shape of this thing. I just called them pods because I didn't know what else to call them. I don't want them to have a... You know, I don't want them to look like apples. Um, It was just a shape that became fun to play with. Sure. What kind of materials were you using? Well, in different pieces, different kinds. I did some paper mache pods that were literally three-dimensional and then I used various um, yarns and different fiber things to fill in these pods but they were literally sticking out from the surface of the walling by like a couple inches at least. It's just fun. It's mostly playing with texture. It's just fun to try to do stuff with them. Now, did then, because if I'm trying to think particularly of the ones that you've incorporated into tree branches and there have been a couple of those. Color doesn't seem to be as important as those as texture and it's three-dimensionality. That seems to be a different tact for you. Yes, in a way it is. And I don't know why or how. <laughs> Just, I kind of go with what I have fun doing. And after I've been doing it for a while, then it's not as fun. So I kind of move, move on. on to something else. Yeah, exactly. So um, thank you for coming in. And just talking about your work, before I let you go, though, you and I and a friend of ours are here in the gallery with a show, and um, we've called it Three Sisters. Well, the courthouse, old courthouse piece that I was referring to is for that show. But actually, I have several different things. Um, sometimes I like to paint very almost abstract flowers. They have lots of colors. And then do a little bit of sewing. So it's more of a 
quilted kind of thing with a little bit of puffy texture. I have a couple pieces like that. Mostly this thread painting. Uh, one batik. Okay. The big peacock. He's Ooh, blue and he was yes. he, he in blues and purples and golds and stuff. Again, it's just a little bit of everything. It is a representation of our work as individual artists. We're calling it Three Sisters because we're good friends and we see ourselves as sisters in fiber. She and I and our friend Carolyn Carson, I'm a weaver and I do dye work. Carolyn is a weaver and has been exploring. She's a relatively new weaver, so she's been exploring all kinds of things and uh, playing with tapestry type of of techniques and, and imagery. And then Barb, as you've just heard, is really quite eclectic and does some very interesting things. But we're going to see at least one of her batiks. We're going to see um, probably a couple of her sewn machine sewn drawings. There, You may have a couple things with real sticks or real twigs or real branches. Okay, so it's still going to be sculptural. Okay, so we're still going to, because Barb is very, like she said, color is big for her, so is texture. So it's going to be an exciting show. It is going to be a little different than what you might think about when you think about art or if you think about just painting and drawing. And I would welcome you and challenge you and be happy to see you here and uh, see you visit the show. Well, this has been fun. I'm so glad that you came in and I'm going to hand you off now to Maddie. Did you sew your own clothes when you were younger? By junior high, probably. My mother was saying, if you want it, you make it. (laughs) Because I was always saying, you know, can you make this dress but put this kind of sleeve on it and change the collar? And (laughs) my mother was the kind of sewer who got a pattern and made it perfect. I was the kind of sewer who was like, you know, let's mess around a little bit. And if it's not perfect, it's not the end of the world. In my town, we had it in the summer. We had a dance every Tuesday night that all the kids went to. So for a couple summers, I had new outfits every Tuesday night to wear to the dance. And it would be, you know, stuff I made. That's that's very cool. My my friend is a costume designer, and she's working on making all her clothes now. I so, love, I would have loved to do that when I was young, real young. That was my goal. Until I found out or thought that you had to be able to draw people, and I'm ne- people have never been one of my things. So I'm like, well, I can't be a fashion designer because I can't draw people. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and see, whenever I was teaching, the next door room was the sewing room. So whenever I got into trouble, didn't know how to do something, I could run over and those teachers over there would teach me how to make it work. You know, like pleated skirts out of plaid so that things had to line up just perfect. Stuff like that I learned to do along the way there. It always takes longer. Any project takes longer than you anticipate. Always. I think that's one thing you learn over time, though. It doesn't matter. It's it, Maybe partly it's because of my stage of my life that I have time. And for lots of years, I didn't have time. But no, it's not that. It's just like if you want it done and you want it right and you... you no, it's going to take time. Sometimes they'll they'll be new at something and they're upset because the first time they ever do it, it didn't work. And they have to, I mean, I've done many batiks as we were talking about, but lots of the batiks were disasters. I mean, you know, you can't control that thing. If it gets dripping around, it, it just takes time. You do it over and over. And, you know, even, you know, the people that are well-known and are really, really good at stuff, they've still... So... 
Are you ready for this game? Yes, go for it. All right. So <laughs> I know how you love to use organic shapes in your artwork. According to a blog, the origin of the word organic comes from the Greek organikos, relating to the organ of a body. This word later generalized to mean characteristics pertaining to or derived from living organisms. In chemistry, organic refers to any molecule that contains carbon. All you need to do is think of the strange, interesting words or thoughts on life out of maybe it's something that sounds funny, perhaps it's a word that's not often used in conversation, or maybe it's a memory that just kind of makes you smile. What is the strangest word or memory you can think of in fiber art? To me, the word organic means natural, not necessarily bodily organs by any means, but things that have grown, uh, the pods that we were talking about, um, sticks and twigs and trees and parts of the, which I've been playing around with the last couple years. Also, nondescript shapes that are kidney-type, free-form, flowy, which have always been part of my nature when I draw. When I think of organic, especially in the grocery store, I think of the aisle where everything costs more than it costs anywhere else. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's kind of like, you know. So in that respect, I'm not very organic at all. What's your favorite food? Oh my. Probably sweets, mm-hmm. cookies, ice cream, yeah. all the things that are bad for you. I love dark chocolate. Oh, I do too. Mm-hmm. I do too. <laughs> organic may not have anything to do with organ music. You can think of a memory related to music that would be superb. I did take a few, literally a few organ lessons in my life. Really? Uh-huh. Um, played in the organ when I was in high school. Had an organ um, some years ago, but in my adult life for a while. Just for fun. Mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, I took piano lessons for a number of years, but I don't play when anybody else is around. Uh, <laughs> one of those do you, do you still play piano? Once in a while. Oh, nice. We do have one at our house, yes. Mm-hmm. Organ's really hard to play. Do you do you still feel like you can play organ or? I haven't, I haven't for years. I, but it's not that different than the piano. You just hold things longer. Oh. Connect things a little differently, in my mind. Yeah. But it's just for fun. Especially at Christmas time. Oh, yeah. Love Christmas carols. Yeah. What's your favorite Christmas carol? I love them all. The traditional ones. The ones that you know the words for every verse and stuff <laughs> like that. Those are my favorite Christmas carols. No, I don't sing. <laughs> sing. So, so, so you play so other people can sing. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Singing is not one of my things at all. Organic may mean relating to carbon in chemistry as another definition, but what is the strangest word you can think of in regards to science? Way over my head. (laughs) As is anything scientific. (laughs) You start saying science and my eyes start glazing over right there. What uh, science course did you take in college? There was the only basic one that we were required to take was Mm. called physical science. And it was a little bit more physics related than it was chemistry. And one of the most difficult things when I was in college and taking the course called ceramics where we threw pots and everything, we also had to mix 
the glazes. And this was scientific in terms of what the things were that we were mixing and working with. And at that point, I was kind of lost. <laughs> Again, it's the other side of the brain, so to speak. It's yeah. the, the more um, literal than the figurative artistic side. Exactly. Um, one of the few times along the way in art courses that some of those things did matter to me were when you were making jewelry and you were learning to solder and different types of metals and how to give them a patina of different colors and how things react. And now that was worth knowing. <laughs> so that was interesting. I probably got the best grades in, in geometry, far better than I got in algebra. <laughs> yeah, everyone has their own things. I was much better at geometry as well than any other math. Visual learners. That's yeah. what we do. Organic may not have anything to do with organs, lungs, or being human, but what do you think is the oddest thing about the human experience? Well, I'll tell you one that I've been thinking about recently during the pandemic and the way it affected different people in different ways, mm-hmm. especially creative people, some of whom felt were, were so concerned about everything that was going on that they felt creative blocks. And a lot of people were very hung up about that. Other people um, kind of enjoyed it in that you were home and had time to do your thing and be left alone. And, and so on. So some people are still nervous. I know different artists also creatively felt different. Were you someone who just was very creative or was it hard to work? No, it wasn't hard to work at all. Yeah. And I know several others who, who would, would agree with that for them as well. So it just felt like your creative mind yeah. was always going. Yes. I remember you had a piece in the gallery that used less uh, organic shapes that had a lot of square tiles. I remember oh, that piece and I remember Brian said that looks like a pandemic piece of art because that's completely different, different from what you normally yeah. did. Well, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, I've did a couple of them actually. Just some I always wanted to play with and try and I never had time. Yeah. And so I was making use of the time and trying things. It's always it's always good to experiment and since we had that time to use, use, yeah. Yeah, use that. And then that piece happened to sell. And so when somebody else shows interest in it. Like, oh, maybe I should try a little more. <laughs> <laughs> sure, yeah. As you may know, we used to be a hub for poetry and prose through Lit Night at the Artist's Hand. To keep this tradition alive, we read submitted poetry here. You can submit your poetry by emailing contact at theartistshandgallery.com or drop it off at the Artist's Hand in person. It can be anonymous or not, whatever floats your boat. Today we have two poems to share with you by the infamous Jeffrey. The Customers in a Record Store by Jeffrey. We work. The day is long. You're tired. A nice treat after work brightens your day, like buying a CD, then you can play it later. This young lady knows what she wants. She wants jazz music. The change in music styles put her off. She finds jazz keeps things real for her. (laughs) What's your favorite kind of music to listen to? 
oldies. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Definitely. And as far as the oldies are concerned, as long as it's a, got a good beat and you can dance to it. Well, there you go. Yeah. That's all that matters. <laughs> Beach Boys are good. They did my Barbara Ann song. <laughs> I, I like to listen to Yanni and Enya and stuff like that that's just kind of background. That's one of the other things I do enjoy listening to. Sometimes by Jeffrey. Sometimes I just walk by an alleyway like Gompers Avenue. But why do they call it Gompers Avenue? By golly gum. It's an alley. I like the ambiance of an alley, old houses, weeds growing out of the paved roadways, and lots of dandelions. But I like the artist's hand, too. All good? All good. Thank All you very good. much. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you for Ms. Clark. <laughs> something cool, something bold. A work of art will suit your soul. Giving a hand to the arts. Hand gallery.